Hey friends, this is Josh Blair, and I'm the pastor of Central Valley Church, and this is our podcast. My prayer for you today is that the message you hear will encourage you and inspire you to walk closer with Jesus this week. Now we're continuing in our series in Mark. We're actually going to be wrapping up the first eight chapters next Sunday. So this is, we're going to be diving into chapter 7 this morning, and chapter 8 will be our last portion until we jump back into Mark sometime next year. And so you don't want to miss next week's as well. You want to make sure that you're here for that as we conclude our series on the first part of Mark. And uh, the primary, the primary uh, goal for the Gospel of Mark is to reveal who Jesus is. And so my prayer throughout this series is that you've been understanding more about who Jesus is in your life and not only who he is, but what he came to do and what he wants to do through you. That's my, that's my prayer for us specifically uh, this morning and throughout this entire series. And I would encourage you to go back. If you've missed any part of this series, I would encourage you to go back either on our Facebook page or pull up our podcast and listen to this series going through the introduction to Mark all the way through currently uh, chapter, chapter 6 and diving into chapter 7 this morning because I, I believe it will bless you. And uh, there's a reason why we put those up there so that you can go back and listen again because God can speak to us several times uh, through one message. And so uh, this morning we're going to be looking at chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. And I won't be able to cover the entire chapter because there's quite a few things that, that are uh, in there. And I was telling a buddy of mine how kind of I was bummed out about that, about I wouldn't be able to cover everything in chapter 7 uh, because I love, I love God's Word and I love to teach it. And he said, why don't you just do a special podcast edition where you do the rest of it? I was like, that's brilliant. So actually, I'll be posting uh, the last portion that we don't cover in Chapter 7. I'll be doing a special podcast just on the remaining portion of Chapter 7 that you can listen to. And uh, then I'll post those. And actually, we'll be posting three because last week isn't up yet. And so we'll be doing three podcasts this week so that you can listen to those. And uh, so I'm excited about that. So you won't want to miss that either. So make sure that you're looking out for that. Uh, if you don't follow the podcast or listen to it, you can pull up on iTunes, look under Central Valley Church Podcast, and it's right there for you. So uh, before we jump into the Word of God this morning, let's pray together, and then we'll begin reading chapter 7, verse 1. Lord, we ask God that you would open up our ears to hear, our eyes to see, God, that uh, you have a word for us today. We ask, God, that, you, that we would be ready and, and willing to receive what you have for us, Lord. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal your word to us, because that's what you love to do. We love you, Jesus. Give us clarity and understanding. In the mighty name of God, we pray. Amen. Let's jump into chapter 7, starting in verse 1. And it says this, Now the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. So they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were, un, uh, that were defiled, that is, unwashed for the Pharisees. And all the Jews did not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as washing the cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? All right, first I want to make a couple of historical points here. Uh, the, the first thing that we can pick up from, from Mark writing in this way is that he's not writing, his original audience was not Jewish. Because verse 3 has him explaining what the Pharisees and all Jews did, washing hands. So he wouldn't need to write that to a Jewish person or a Jewish audience. They would already know that, right? So it's important to know 
the context of why Mark is writing that and what he's trying to explain here. Uh, he's writing to first century Christians uh, who are Gentiles predominantly, uh, not Jewish because they wouldn't have known the tradition there. But secondly, it's important to note that the Pharisees not only held closely to Scripture, but they held very close to the oral tradition that was passed down from generation to generation to, uh, in, in a desire to remain pure. A lot of what we know about the Pharisees is not, not, not all of them read or write. That's why they had scribes that would write and read for them. And so oral tradition being passed down was, was equal to, in a lot of ways, the actual scripture written down for them. So what was told to them had just as much value as what scripture was passed down from uh, within the, the nation of Israel. And so oral tradition had a lot of weight from their elders uh, and it, it, in a lot of cases, it had more weight even than Scripture. And uh, maybe that sounds a little crazy or foreign to us to say that oral tradition has just as much weight as God's Word. And yet, I believe that that practice is still alive and well today. Uh, I think within the church, we have we hold to more we we hold to some of our own oral traditions more than we oftentimes hold to the Word of God. Let me give you an example. Have you ever heard anybody say, "Well"? At my church, we do it this way. That's why I do it that way. Or my pastor says, and that's why I believe what I believe. That, that is an example of oral tradition. This is the way we've always done it. And a lot of times, that's because there's not a lot of people who are actually reading the Word of God daily for themselves. So they live off of what's being spoken to them, what's being taught to them, rather than saying, I take that and I receive with Scripture what God is wanting to say. And a lot of times we, we think it's crazy that the Pharisees lived predominantly through oral tradition, what's being passed down from generation to generation. We think, how could they do that with the Scriptures there before them? But oftentimes we do the very same thing. The scripture is there for us every day, and we're like, I'm going to just continue to eat off of what I've been told rather than finding out for myself. And oral tradition very similarly becomes what we, what we live off of daily and rather than receiving directly from the word of God. And I mention this because I think oftentimes when we look at the Pharisees, we think uh, through scripture, especially in Mark's gospel, the Pharisees are really painted in, in, in bad light. But also the disciples are too. <laughs> they never, they don't really catch a whole lot of stuff that Jesus is saying. And the Pharisees, I think, uh, get. We look at them, we think, what a bunch of stiff-necked people, hard-hearted people who just don't get who Jesus is. And I think a lot of times we walk in the very same attitudes that the Pharisees had. I think that that oftentimes we see them as the enemy of Jesus, but but. Quite often in, the, in our walk with Jesus, we can look more like the Pharisees than we can like Jesus. And let me tell you why. Because I think uh, when, we reading, when we read about the, the Pharisees, we get this bad picture of them. But I've been doing some uh, part of research for a seminary class that I was taking. And they had us read this historian, Josephus, who was a, a Jewish leader who was captured by Rome. And then they made him in a, into a historian. And so, like they said, report to us all the things, all the doings of your people so that we can understand them better, we can better uh, have a relationship with them. And so he would write a history of them, and he wrote this uh, a history called Antiquities, and he describes in this book the Pharisees. He actually even describes uh, the killing of John the Baptist from an outside perspective, which is kind of cool, because it, 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 uh, it collaborates the story that we have in Scripture. 
So Josephus was not a believer. Actually, he was even distant from them. He was reporting from the outside looking in. And we see this, this awesome depiction. But in, in Antiquities, he writes about the Pharisees, and he says that they were an honorable people, that they were, uh, they were strong leaders that were committed to their faith, and they wanted all of the people within Jerusalem to be committed to their faith. And so he writes about, about them to Rome, saying these are good people. These are honorable men in, uh, that, uh, that lead their, their nation towards God. And what was so important about the Pharisees is that they often they believed that the common person could live in such a way to honor God. They, they, they believed that there didn't matter who you are or what walk of life you were in, you could honor God by the way you lived. And that was different than a lot of the other religious leaders of the time, the Sadducees and the uh, part of the Sanhedrin and all these other leaders in Jewish, the Jewish culture which believed you needed to be a part of the elite upper echelon of culture to really honor God and the poor were just kind of left for themselves. And so that's the reason why the Pharisees were so popular and had so much popularity and power in the culture because they would come to people and say, hey, you, we believe you can honor God just as much as we can honor God. But the problem was they didn't understand how to do it. So they created rules to help those who couldn't really understand Scripture to make sure that they safeguarded against really breaking the most important rules. And so they created all these additional rules. And the problem is Jesus said all these rules that you've created are missing the whole point of why we're serving God in the first place. And, and they, were, they were missing it, but their hearts, they desired to please God, but they missed out on who God really was. The Pharisees, they attempted to help people, but they missed it by making rules on top of rules so that they wouldn't get close to breaking the original rule. I, I wonder, do you know uh, if that sounds familiar today? Does anybody do that where you make a rule to protect against the other rule? Now, let me give you an example. We do this in, we do this in church. Uh, I went to a Christian university where we didn't have dancing because uh, dancing was bad, and we, we, we thought that dancing would lead to something else, right? Dancing was so sensual that it could lead to other things. But our joke was, to kind of point out how, how funny it is, is that we said uh, uh, the leadership at the university didn't believe in premarital sex because it could lead to dancing. And uh, we were... We want to make sure we stayed away from that rule altogether. We don't want to. That's a joke. Uh, the, <laughs> the idea is if you dance, you get sensual, you could lead into, into sexual sin. Sex before marriage is called fornication. And, and so it's, we wanted to safeguard it. So we would say, you don't do this. If you don't do this, then you probably won't do that. Right? The problem is when you do things like that, people don't dance, but they're still sleeping with each other, but no one knows it. It doesn't actually address the heart issue. It just makes it look good on the outside, but internally they're sneaking around doing what they want to do anyway. And the, the problem with what Jesus was saying with the Pharisees is that you're trying to do something to make yourself look good, but internally you're rotten because you don't know who God is. There's a major problem here. When you're trying to live by rules to honor God and you don't even know the original purpose of what God said in the first place, and so you just pile rule on top of rule on top of rule until you collapse under the weight of trying to be perfect. And Jesus wanted to address this, this hypocrisy because they would, they would confront this rule and ignore the one that was being broken because that was messy to address this idea of, oh, you're, you're sleeping with somebody before you're married. I'm not going to address that, but don't you dance. Because we can look at that and that's not so messy. We can say, leave room for the Holy Ghost. You know? And it's, it's not actually addressing the problem. And Jesus knew that, and that's why he responded to them 
when they asked him, why do your disciples eat with unwashed hands? And he says this in verse 6, he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. In other words, you neglect the word of God or you reject his commands and you hold to your tradition thinking that it will preserve your life, thinking that it will save you. So if, if this is sin, then I'll take two steps back, put up another barrier just so I don't ever get close to it. But you think that that barrier is your salvation when really it's intimacy with God that is our salvation. It's not keeping a bunch of rules. And Jesus is saying you are neglecting the commands of God to honor your own tradition. And you're teaching people your tradition and saying it's a command of God, but it's not. And so he addresses this hypocrisy in here. And he goes on to say in verse, verse 9, he said to them, you, are, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you have gained from me is Corbin. That's right, we got, this is where we got our, our child's name. But hopefully he doesn't do to us what the kids do to their parents in this story. Uh, he says, whatever, uh, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. What is he saying here? First, uh, the, the, the context of this is that the, the kids were supposed to care for their parents. In this day, there was no Social Security. There was no retirement plan. The retirement plan is like, let's have as many can kids as possible so they can make sure we eat well and, and are healthy into our old age. That was their, their plan. And, and uh, what the Jewish people would do, what the leaders would do, is their, for the desire to have more wealth for themselves or more things, they thought, like, we want to do more things in the temple or we want to have fancier robes or whatever. They made this stipulation, this loophole to say, uh, if you will pledge what you would normally give, sell to take care of your parents, if you'll pledge it to the temple, then you can hold on to it during your life. But once you pass, then it comes to the temple. But, but in the meantime, if you're if you're going to have to sell it to care for, care for your parents, you could actually retain it and say, I can't I can't sell this property, I can't sell these this livestock to care for you because I've given them to God. And it was a way for the people to continue to enjoy what they wanted. And not care for others. And Jesus was saying, you're dishonoring a command of God who says, take care of your mother and father in their old age. And yet you're, you're making a loophole so that you'll get richer and the kids don't have to honor their parents. And it's, it, he says, many such things you are doing. So they continue to create loopholes to benefit themselves while also dishonoring God's will. So you could, you, you, this idea of, the, you know, the, the, the parents would not be taken care of. The kids would then be selfish and say, I get to keep my possessions. I don't have to sell them for the, uh, to care for my parents. And it was this devastation that Jesus is saying, you're not even honoring the command of God. In fact, the command that he's talking about is the fifth commandment of the Ten Commandments. Do you guys know the Ten Commandments? Do, do you know them? This is what, all right. Let's look, let's look at them.
All right, can you see that? Is it, there's a glare on it? If you can see it in the back, say yes. No. How about now? Closer? Worse. I feel like I'm a vision test doctor right now. One or two? Two or three? Is that right there? Or I'm going to read them anyway. Half of you will see them. Half of you won't. Okay. But let's read them together. Okay. Here's the Ten Commandments in short, in short form. Number one, have no other gods before God. Right? Number two, worship God alone. He says don't create a, a, a graven image and worship it. So abbreviated, don't worship any other gods. Three, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Four, keep the Sabbath. Five, that Jesus addresses the Pharisees, honor your father and mother. Then it has six, don't kill. Seven, don't commit adultery. Eight, don't steal. Nine, don't lie or bear false witness. And ten, don't covet. Those are the, those are the ten commandments. What's interesting to me is that Jesus, uh, he realizes that the Pharisees don't understand the commandments of God. He says you keep dishonoring God's commands for your own tradition. You don't have the commands of God in your heart. And the commands that he would be talking about would be these ten commandments. You're not honoring God. You, you, you aren't keeping the Sabbath. You aren't honoring father and mother. You, you are murderers, he calls them in the gospel. And he highlights the fact that they're not honoring God, any of his commands. And when God gives these commandments to the people of Israel in Exodus 22, he starts out with saying, I am the God who set you free from Egypt, from bondage and slavery. So if you want to remain free and stay in relationship with me, here are 10 things I want you to do. Just 10. 10 things to please God. And it was super simple. How many uh, husbands in here would love a list of 10 things that your wife would say, here are 10 things. You want to make me happy for the rest of my life? Here's 10 things you can do, and I'll be happy. I won't complain about anything. Come on, men. Would you say amen? Hallelujah. Faith, are you listening? 10 things. I'll do them. I'll try my best. 10 things that God gives them and says, this will set you apart from the rest of the world, and it'll make you a light in darkness. But the religious leaders were straying further and further away from those commandments to the point where they were questioning Jesus about hand-washing and were so far from God. They were questioning Jesus about, did your disciples wash their hands? And he's like, hey, don't kill. Don't lie. Don't covet what belongs to somebody else, which the Pharisees were doing when they made this rule about Break this tradition. Say this is a gift from God so that you can hoard it and then give it to us after you die. Coveting what their neighbors had and dishonoring their own parents. Jesus is saying, you don't even understand the commands. You don't even understand what really defiles a person. They thought not washing your hands defiled you or made you unclean. But Jesus says, let me define to you what makes you unclean. This is what he says in verse 14. He says, and he called the people to him Again, he said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside a person that is going into him that can defile him. But the things that come out of the person is what defile him. And then he entered the house and he left the people and his disciples asked him about this parable, which I think is funny because parables, he said, were kind of like riddles to bring confusion. But I think that's pretty clear. He says, what's outside of you can't defile you, but what comes out of you is what defiles you. They're like, explain to us this parable. They don't understand it. And he says to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? since so it enters not into the heart, but his, into his stomach and is expelled. Mark says, this is thus declaring all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of the person is what defiles him. 
Jesus is saying what comes out of our hearts is what really defiles us. And this is the list that he gives. In verse 21, it says this, from, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Here's what's interesting to me, that Jesus ridicules the Pharisees for not knowing the commands of God. And he seems to challenge their understanding of the commandments of God because of the list that he gives them of what defiles a person. If we look at the the Ten Commandments and we review this list, we see that out of the twelve things that Jesus lists, nine of them are on the Ten Commandments. Could you put that back up there again? Yeah. Go to verse 21. It says, from within, the, from within, out of the heart, come evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, what's that? Adultery. Fornication. It says, theft, what's that? Stealing. Don't steal. It has murder. Don't kill. He's got what? Adultery, what's that? That was the easiest answer. Adultery is already up there. He says it again. He says coveting. That's literally, he's using the exact same words out of the, New, out of the Old Testament. Wickedness, not mentioned. Maybe. We'll go back to it. Deceit, what's that? Don't lie. Sensuality, that could be in here because it's a desiring what your flesh desires. You just act on it. Whatever you desire is a form of adultery. Pride and foolishness. So out of the 12 things, he addresses the bottom half of the Ten Commandments. And actually, he mentions this one because he calls out the Pharisees in the same story about honoring your father and mother. So six out of ten, he says, these are the things that defile you. These are the things. In the, it, when, you, when people break down the Ten Commandments, they typically say that the first four are relation to God between our hearts and God's heart. The last six are our relation with people. What is Jesus saying? What defiles our hearts is how we respond and treat and react to other people. It's not about all these other things that we try to make up and all these rules we try to live by, but it's about how we love each other. And if we don't love each other well, we are defiling the very nature of who we are in God's eyes. He's saying, if you do these things, this is what defiles you. Not the other rules that you have of not washing your hands or not washing your plates or your cups or wiping off your couches in a proper way. And a lot of times I think that we have this issue of we think, you know, I got a a bunch of lists of do's and don'ts, that a bunch of rules that we try to follow and, and try to honor God. But God is saying, I care more about how you genuinely love people how you put others first more than I care about you following a bunch of rules. Jesus highlights to us that that the things that come out of our hearts is in relation to how we treat people, and that is what will corrode his image in our lives. I think the point that Jesus is saying here is that the Pharisees Pharisees were so, so concerned with the outward appearance and what others thought about them that they neglected other people. What do we call that? It's called selfishness. 
I care about self. I care about what I look like. I care about what I have. And I don't want anybody to think less of me or think any other negative thing of me. I'm going to present myself in the best way possible because it's about me. And Jesus is saying, you live your life selfishly and you will neglect everybody else. And if you neglect everybody else, your heart is rotting from the inside out. He tells us that it's the lack of care for others that will defile us, that will make us unclean. And Jesus is wanting them to see that God cares more about the way we love and treat others. Matthew chapter 22 has this exchange of Jesus and the Pharisees where they come to him and they say, Master, tell us what is the greatest command. And, and he, says, he says this. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. Right? And then he says, and the second is just like it. The way, the way that is worded in the original language is that this and this, not this or this or this, this one's more important, and then this one is, eh. He says, this is related to this. It's just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You want to know what it means to honor God? What the greatest commandment is? Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And if you're really loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind, you will love your neighbor with all of you are. You can't do one without the other. He's highlighting the fact that the love of God in your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, should pour out to your neighbors. And if it doesn't, you don't really love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. There has to be a connection. There has to be a correlation between the two. And the nine of the twelve things that Jesus lists that fall upon the Ten Commandments help us understand that he's concerned about how we love and treat others. Now, we can still be defiled but not doing these things too because the other three that aren't on the list... Pride, wickedness, foolishness, I think sum up the first four. Because pride is elevating ourselves above God. That's having no other gods before me. Well, if you're prideful, then you are your own God before him. That will defile you. Worshiping God, we have to worship God alone. If you're creating other images and worshiping other things, that's what the Bible calls wickedness because you are not giving praise adequate due to the Lord and you're, you're taking it and you're taking it to somewhere else, what the Bible would say is wickedness. And then foolishness, which is don't take the Lord's name in vain and not keeping the Sabbath, which is foolish. This idea of not taking the Lord's name in vain, that's not like saying, oh my God, oh, I said the Lord's name in vain. That's not what it meant. What it meant is that you don't understand the power of God. You say that you represent God, but you live like you don't. That's foolishness. You say that you believe a God who's all-powerful and nothing's impossible, but yet you live your life like everything is impossible, and you can't, you can't trust him for anything. That's what, that's what he's saying. You're taking my name in vain. You say you represent me, but you don't represent me. We're living foolishly. So Jesus actually addresses all ten of the commandments in saying what, what defiles us internally, but his main bulk, his main push is to help us look at the things uh, that cause us to treat others unfairly. God cares about how we treat other people and how we love our neighbors. It isn't about what we look like. It isn't if we follow the right rules. The idea of living above reproach, have you heard that saying? We're called to live above reproach. That means to, to remove any shadow of doubt of wrongdoing, right? Right? That's what it means. We're called to live above approach. So I, 
you know, we don't do this certain thing so that people won't assume that we've done something else. And I think that's good. But if our, our desire to live above reproach should not taint or tamper with our ability to love people who live below reproach, people who are doing the things that were clearly wrong against God. And the Pharisees would, would separate themselves from those who were unclean, who'd even wash their hands and say, I'm above reproach, you're below reproach, so I don't want anything to do with you. Because being near you would then lower my, my, uh, how people saw me and understood what I did and how I lived my life. And Jesus wasn't concerned about what people said about him. He didn't necessarily live above reproach in the sense that he was hanging out with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes and saying the kingdom of God belongs to them first because they know where they're at in the state of their heart and they're willing to repent and seek God first. And you think you're, you're justified by your rules and you're so far from God. He was wanting to highlight to us, I care about how you love people. If you say that you love a loving God, then you should also care about the people who are far from him. He says if you're living selfishly, then seeking to please yourself and gratify yourself, you're not pleasing God at all. Here's the big idea that I want you to walk away with this morning out of chapter 7, verses 1 through 23, that God cares about how you treat others. He cares about how you love others. And if you want to know what it means to please God, begin to love others and treat people uh, with higher, higher esteem than yourself. Believe that, that God has called you to serve and not be served. He's called you to represent him to a world who doesn't know him. And not just with lip service, but with heart transformation. And believing that God can do amazing and powerful things in you and through you if you'll seek to serve him and love people. If you want to know what clogs up your spiritual heart, it's living for yourself. If you want to know what it means to have a spiritual heart attack, it's being consumed with yourself. It's being consumed with yourself because the things that flow out of your heart will determine what flows into it. The stuff that comes out of your heart will determine what's poured back into it. So if you if hate pours out of your heart, hate will be poured back into your heart. If lust pours out of your heart, lust will be poured back into your heart. And it's a, it's a cycle of sin that you get stuck in because of what's flowing out of your heart is what continues to draw things into your heart. So Jesus is saying, you got to break that cycle. And here's, the, here's the, the beautiful thing about the gospel is that he's come to break the cycle of sin in our lives, to change our hearts and our own desires if we'll let him do it, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And I know in this season that we're in, it's uh, the, the holidays and, and we're in the ha Halloween season. And I know that sometimes in churches that can be like a hot topic. You know, should we celebrate it? Should we not celebrate it? Is it evil? Is it just for fun? Should we dress up? Should we not dress up? Should we hand out candy? Should we not hand out candy? Can I, can I let you know that that is a form of rule that we've created so that we would not get close to a rule of, of uh, breaking one of the commandments? But, but I would hope that you would be more concerned with the neighbors who are coming to your door more than if you should dress up or not. My, my prayer for our church is that we would be people that are, that are excited that one time a year our neighbors come to us. They knock on our doors. We're not having to go out and try to reach them. God is bringing them to us. And should we not, uh, should we not take full advantage of that? Open up our door. Give them so much candy they can't walk away. Like that's the house I want to go to every year. That create opportunities for people to see the love of Jesus in you. 
instead of being concerned with the rules of should I and should I not. Jesus is saying, I care. I want you to care more about people and not whether or not a little girl is just as, as a witch and a boy is a goblin or whatever. Yeah, is there evil in that? Of course, but the enemy is always trying to create evil out of good things. So why give it to him and just say, you know what? Hey, I bless you in the name of Jesus. Eat this giant Snickers bar. Just let's bless them. Let's love them. Let's let them know that there is a God in heaven who cares about them. And even on the darkest night of the year, they'll see the light of Christ in you. Why not? We, why don't we care more about that? More than, you know, should I or should I not? Or will I or will I not? Or what does this say about me? Or, and what is God, is God concerned about? That? Like, let's get past the religiosity that tries to bind us and keep us away from engaging culture. And let's be a people who say, I have the light in me. I can go wherever I want to go and bring the light with me. Because the light in me is greater than any darkness I ever step into. Come on.